Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, your word works in us, brings us faith, brings us greater love and knowledge of Jesus. So fill us this morning with your word and with such faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the more I study, the more I take a look at this reading from the Gospel of John, the more I appreciate it. I appreciate it because it really shows the disciples in a very human light. They are afraid, they're weak, they're full of doubt and uncertainty. They, they didn't know what was happening. The Messiah, the Christ that they had followed, had died. And now something had happened. They're not exactly sure what had happened, but they are in a locked room. This was not the brave band of disciples that would be on, on Pentecost and going forward. This, these were not men of great courage who would ultimately lay down their lives for Christ Jesus. These were a group of people who were afraid, who were doubtful, who were unsure. Jesus wasn't with them anymore. Had he left them? Had he forsaken them? I'm sure some of them had that thought. Had Jesus forsaken them? And this is a very natural human reaction. I'm going to guess that maybe, just maybe, some of you have had that feeling. Perhaps at one time in your life, there was a very powerful spiritual experience you had that God came to you in his presence in a very palpable, very powerful way. And you were given that faith. And you had a purpose. And you had things you wanted to do for his kingdom. And then time passed. And things just didn't turn out exactly how you thought. And there seemed to be perhaps a distance between you and Jesus. And you might have started to have some doubts and wonder, was it real? Is he still there? Has he forsaken me? I'm going to guess some of you have had thoughts similar to that somewhere along the way. And if you have, you are in the same group, you are in good company with the disciples. But, just as Jesus called and chose his disciples, he has called and chosen you. Just as Jesus did not forsake his disciples, he has not forsaken you. Let that ring loudly this morning. Jesus has not forsaken you. And so this morning, we're going to start a short series called, He Has Not Forsaken You. We're going to start here with the Gospel of John. And I know Pastor Shields preached on this text, or at least part of this text last week, but this text is so rich that we're going to spend more time in it. 
And then the following several weeks, at least three weeks, we're going to work and explore the person and the role of the Holy Spirit because he is perhaps the least known of the Trinity. So, this morning, here's our roadmap. Our roadmap is, I was afraid and the Lord gave me peace. I was doubtful and the Lord gave me faith. I was sent and the Lord equipped me. Let's go with the text. I was afraid and the Lord gave me peace. Begins this way. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that would have been Sunday, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So fear is a natural experience, right? And there are reasons to be afraid, very real reasons, but there's also imaginary things that can take over our mind. The disciples had a very real fear for the Jews. They had just crucified Jesus, and now they would be after them. This fear also was played out later on the way with Saul, who was truly persecuting the Christians. So they had a very real fear. They also had a real and imagined fear, because now Jesus, the Messiah, the one who is to save Israel had been crucified and he was gone. And now there's this, there's this story that the tomb's empty. And the women had this outrageous story that he had risen from the dead. They didn't know what to believe. I mean, I would imagine some of them thought maybe he was just a man, right? And if he was just a man, then it wasn't true at all. Or maybe he had fooled them in some way. You see, this, this is what happens. When we are left with our own thoughts, apart from God's Word, apart from our promises, it doesn't go well. And we often go to a dark place. In the absence of God's Word and promises, our minds and emotions run rampant with doubt and fear. And we're left in the dark. Thankfully, our great God and shepherd doesn't leave us alone. In Ezekiel, it says this from our reading from Ezekiel, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And so Jesus, the great shepherd, came to them in their darkness and in their fear. He peers to them in the locked room. Now, this shouldn't surprise us at all. In his transfigured state, material walls, doors are no issue. Okay. So you're in the room, it's locked, Jesus appears. What would be your reaction? Surprise, definitely. Were they like, oh joy, Jesus is here? No, they were afraid, they, were, they thought they were seeing a ghost. 
in uh, Luke's gospel, his account, it says they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. This was a room full of afraid people. So if you would come into the room with a room full of afraid people, what would be the first thing you would say to them? I noticed Jesus did not say, I have risen, I have risen indeed. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say to them? Peace be with you. Now, this was a common saying of the day, but it is such a rich, short phrase that we have to spend some time on this because I think you can find three different layers, implications with this particular phrase. The first one, peace be with you, there's a sense that Jesus is now with them and they no longer have to be afraid. So as a parent or dealing with small children who get frightened for whatever reason, have you ever gone to them and come up to them and hugged them and said, it's okay, I'm here. You don't have to be afraid, I'm here. I think at one level, there's a sense of Jesus just doing that with the disciples. Peace be with you. I'm here. But there's more to it than that. Those are words of comfort, but there, there are greater words here. He was reminding them of what he said to them before he was crucified. So what did he say to them before he was crucified? Well, he said to them from John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When he says, peace I leave with you, he's giving them a legacy of peace. And when he says, my peace I give to you, it is a treasure of peace that he gives to them. So when Jesus says, peace be with you, he's reminding them of both the legacy and the treasure found in Christ Jesus. And this is important. If you seek peace, seek Jesus. Because, look, if you look out into the world today to find peace, do you find it? No, not at all. I mean, it is laughable, isn't it? There's no peace abounding. Well, okay, so if peace isn't in our circumstances, and by the way, have any of you ever tried up to, to line up your circumstances just right so you have peace? Right? And it's like, like you're trying to balance everything just so I can have peace, but it, it doesn't work, does it? If it does, let me know. Because I, I, I'd like to find out how you did it. But so there's not peace out there. And there's certainly, if I look internally, I don't find a whole lot of peace inside me either, right? So if peace isn't out there, it's not in there, where do you find peace? It's in Christ Jesus. He himself is our peace. He also said to the disciples, John chapter 16, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, 
I have overcome the world. In Christ Jesus, there is eternal, everlasting peace. How many of you know Corey Ten Boom? Show of hands, a few. So I think we need to watch a movie about her life. She was a, a prisoner in World War II at a concentration camp, survived, a Christian, uh, and her life is just astounding. But she said this. I'm going to put it together simply because she said this. If you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Puts it together rather simply, doesn't it? So, there's a peace of comfort. There's a peace in Christ Jesus. But there's a profound statement that he says when he says, Peace be with you. It is a proclamation of eternal peace through the gospel. Through his death, through his resurrection, there's a full restoration with God. And when Jesus says, peace be with you, he points to the gospel. Because the gospel at its heart is a gospel of peace. Look, this shouldn't be surprising to us. It has been a gospel of peace from the beginning, even on the night in which he was born, the angels announced it. You know this one, going back to Christmas, right? They said, fear not, right, there's the fear, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. A more literal translation would be, I announce the gospel to you, for that's what Good news is, gospel means good news. I announce the gospel of great joy to you. And then they go on, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then it says, And suddenly there was with a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. The gospel is one of peace. It was declared at his birth. It was won on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, it means that the full price was paid, that God's wrath has been appeased. It means that sin has overcome and death no longer has hold. Jesus is our peace. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, sharing the gospel is sharing peace. It is sharing reconciliation. It is sharing salvation. It is sharing sanctification. It is sharing redemption. These words, when you sit in them, when you meditate upon them, bring you peace like no other. See, I was afraid, and the Lord gave me peace. I had doubts. I was doubtful, and the Lord gave me faith. When he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, from John's account, accurate, but very sparse in detail, right? It just sounds sort of matter of fact. But listen to what Luke writes of this account. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. You know, I never thought about that last part. It's like, do you have anything to eat? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, we got some fish. I think it's still good. But, the, <laughs> but this, is, this is what the disciples were facing. They were afraid, but Jesus gave them all of this evidence, didn't he? He gave them all of this evidence. I like how one commentator put it. He said there's really four things that you can take from, from this. The person standing in the midst of them real, is really Jesus. That the marks, right, the hands, the feet, the side, those were the marks of Christ who had been crucified. And that he has a real body. They could touch him. He wasn't a phantom, he wasn't some spirit. He wasn't some ghost. Oh, but the promise now, the promise of a bodily resurrection was made full and complete for them. A bodily resurrection. And this is what Jesus talked about as well. And finally, the promise. The promise that he had given them regarding peace was actually given. It was real. Listen, the disciples had been with Jesus and faithful for Je- with Jesus for three years, but they still had doubts, didn't they? But the very presence of Jesus would banish those doubts. The presence of Jesus brought them to such faith. Brought them to such faith that they ended up dying for his sake. And for the sake of the gospel, if you read the accounts, the traditions of how all of the, uh, the apostles lived and died, it's not good. It is very, very bloody. 
There's a, a Christian author and evangelist, Paul Little. He wrote this. Men will die for what they believe to be true, though it may actually be false. They do not, however, die for what they know is a lie. They were in the presence of Christ Jesus, bodily form, resurrection, and they lived in such a way that they gave up everything for him and ultimately became martyrs for the sake of Christ Jesus and the gospel. You see, there are a lot of skeptics who like to hammer away at the resurrection as if it's a hoax, if it's a, a, a conspiracy theory. There's one, was one skeptic. He's still living, but he's no longer a skeptic. Josh McDowell. We have one of his books in back. We have one of his, I have one of his books here. The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's thick. The text isn't big either. There's a lot in here. He was a skeptic in college, and he was kind of upset that all these Christians seemed to be happy. And so he spent 700 hours researching the resurrection. So I did a little math. If you research 24 hours a day straight, no breaks, no nothing, I think it would take 28, almost 29 days straight to do 700 hours. Now, if that's too much, let's just say four hours a day, not taking any days off either, take you 175 days. That's how much research he did on the resurrection. And this is what he said in his conclusion He said, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact in history. And he came down on the side of fact. Not an opinion, not a preference, not just a leap of faith, but fact, a true fact, true with a capital T. You see, that's how it was for the disciples of Jesus. His resurrection banished all doubts, solidified their faith. And by the way, I want you to notice that this all took place before Thomas came into the room. See, we often give Thomas a really hard time. Doubting Thomas, right? This all took place. Before Thomas was there, the disciples were exactly like Thomas. But we give Thomas a hard time. Well, let's talk about Thomas for just a little bit, okay? Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, and my God. Notice it's Jesus who came to the doubtful sheep, the one who is in darkness. And notice again that it is Jesus who proclaimed peace. And notice it is Jesus who commanded Thomas to come to him. It is Jesus who comes into our presence with promises and brings us faith where there is doubt. 
You see, when you actually come into the presence of Jesus, his word and his promises, you have two choices. One is to reject him fully, or the other is to say, as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. You see, Thomas and his declaration there, so short, so succinct, but so profound. My Lord and my God. Jesus wasn't to Thomas just a a rabbi. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a wise teacher. He was Lord and God. He was before all things and in all things. All things through him were created for him. He is our life. He is our salvation. He is our sanctification. He is our eternal promise and our eternal hope. And he said, my Lord and my God. And this is a proclamation that many people do not make, even if they've been in church. They haven't come face to face with Jesus and known him as Lord and God. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus responds to Thomas. He said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. He actually doesn't praise Thomas for his faith, but he doesn't rebuke him either, necessarily. You see, here's the issue. Mankind then and now, because we're no different, we have an attitude of, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Just like the Jews and Greeks demanded signs and wonders, so do we. But what does God say? God says, take me at my word. He did this with Abraham, didn't he? And Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We are to take God at his word, And we are to believe his word and thus the witnesses of his word. You see, the fault of Thomas was not the fact that his faith sprang from sight. It was that Thomas rejected God's own word and the witnesses of his word. He rejected the witnesses. You know, Jesus actually prayed about this before he was crucified. John chapter 17, I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Isn't that interesting? Thus, through eyewitness testimony, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have eyewitness testimony, and we covered that on Easter, we have eyewitness testimony, and through the power of the Spirit, we know this is God's word. And all of it was written, and not even everything was put in the Bible, but all of it was written so that you might believe. And by believing, have eternal life in him. It's the whole purpose. You see, I think a lot of people are weak in faith because they've never spent time, literally, they've never spent time in the testimony, God's word. Not even seven hours, let alone 700 hours. You know, growing up uh, um, in, in my family, 
we grew up Roman Catholic, and we, and I'm not knocking that, but I, we just didn't read the Bible at all. I don't ever remember one time us gathering around the Word. And I think that's why people have a weak faith, because they don't know the Word. And I think that's also the state of um, Christianity right now in America. I think a lot of people are even ashamed of being a Christian and that they won't speak out. Paul wrote about this to Timothy. I'm going to read a little bit uh, selected verses from our reading from 2 Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light, through the gospel, I am not ashamed, for I know who I, whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. See, I was afraid, and the Lord gave me peace. I was doubtful, and the Lord gave me faith. I was sent, and the Lord equipped me. In our text, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So because we're going to spend the next several weeks on the person and the role of the Holy Spirit, I'm only going to touch upon a couple things here, not necessarily go in depth, but a little bit more of a prelude. The first is, As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. The Greek word for sent is apostello, from which we get the word apostle. So it has the meaning of being sent forth, equipped for a mission or commission. The thing that you have to understand when this word is used, when anyone is thus sent, so if you're sent, it implies the mission which he has to fulfill. It's not optional. When Christ sends you, it's not like, well, you know, if you got time next Tuesday, do you think you could do this mission that I'm sending you on? No, it's not that, is it? He sent them. And it also implies then there's the authority to carry out that mission. So God calls and sends. And that's actually what we see throughout the Bible. There's a pattern over and over again. God calls you and then sends you out. Noah was called and he built an ark. Moses was called and he led the people out of slavery. (laughs) This is my favorite. Jonah was called and he said, I don't think so. He went just the opposite way. And God said, no, I called you, I sent you. And so 
maybe the moral of the story is, look, if God calls you and you don't want to end up in the belly of a whale for three days, follow the call. But Isaiah, Jeremiah, they were scared to death that God had called them. But God equipment, equipped them, didn't he? And also then you take a look at the disciples. The disciples, if you take a look at them, they weren't the ones you would think about calling or sending out, were they? But God, Jesus called them and sent them. You know, as it's been said many times before, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Okay, by show of hands, how many of you feel fully equipped, or no, sorry, not equipped, but fully adequate for the call for which God has called you? How many people fully adequate? All right, one, sweet. Then there's the 99. (laughs) None of us, I don't even feel fully adequate. Mostly as I grow in my faith, I feel more inadequate. You know, that's actually the truth. I feel more inadequate. But God calls us and he, he equips us. So how does God equip us? Well, he equips those whom he has called with the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are equipped to do his work. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Everything is in vain. Now, like I said, this is just a beginning point for the next several weeks. So we're not going to go in further. But just know this. God has called you. He has not forsaken you. And he has equipped you, whether you realize it or not. Okay, so we talk about this, right? Hearing the word is one thing. But actually applying the word in your life, that is where it bears fruit. So there are a couple things. I want you to meditate. We've talked about meditation here. This is not, um, that's not that. Think about, ponder, study, sit with, if you will, the resurrection of Jesus. You know, Josh McDowell put in 700 hours. Maybe, you know, Try for 15 minutes at the beginning. Maybe work yourself up for a little bit. But spend some time thinking about the resurrection and how does that give you peace? How does that bring you to ever greater faith? And then truly think about this. In what ways has Jesus called and sent you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit working in and through us, pointing us to Christ Jesus and his gospel. I pray for me, for everyone here and everyone listening, that we are guided, especially this week, in greater love, knowledge of Christ Jesus, and that there is his peace and the faith that brings that brings people to follow him no matter what. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.